open up with a question today, and that question is why, and, and this doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a Christian listening to the Real Issue podcast. If you're a skeptic and you're listening to us today, by the way, my name is Rob Lundberg and I'm your host. I just woke up with this question this morning. Uh, why in the world do people believe what they believe with everything going on in this crazy world today? Have you ever have you ever thought of that? I mean, you know, I, I saw a video this morning on this whole thing on atheists and biases, and they say they're not biased. And if you're an atheist listening to us, I want to welcome you. But why are you an atheist? Why do you believe atheism is true? And I and I know that there's there's a lot of questions from Christians as to why Christians believe what they believe. And I know that we struggle with this. We understand we understand that we have this crazy understanding about apologetics. And the whole idea is, you know, you think it's an intellectual exercise, but the more and more skeptical our culture gets, you're going to find out that you're going to need apologetics in order to be able to do evangelism. <clears throat> because everybody has a question, and behind every questioner, there is a question. Every time you converse with somebody, and I'm speaking, I'm shifting the conversation now to Christians here, every time that you speak to somebody about the gospel or seek to try to speak to somebody about the gospel, there's probably a question as to maybe getting in the way of their coming to faith in Christ. So what I want to do today on our show is just basically go back to basics. We're going to go back to basics because we have to understand why we need to defend what we believe. That's right. Why do you believe what you believe? Have you ever thought of it? Have you ever taken into consideration, if you're a Christian, have you ever taken into consideration about the, anything about the truth claims of the Christian faith? Have you ever thought about, like, why Jesus is God in human flesh? Have you ever thought about why you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You know, it's not just because the Bible says so. Let's quit the childish games and move on to real meat. Kind of paraphrasing what Paul said. What we need to do is we need to understand why we believe what we believe. I think it was Socrates that said, the unexamined life is a life not worth living. And I'm hoping that I don't make any skeptics with what I'm going to carry over from what Socrates had to say about life when I'm going to say that the unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing. And if you're an atheist, you say you don't have faith. I'm sorry, I didn't know you believed that. If you are a Christian, why are you a Christian? You know, is it, is it because you met somebody uh, and they let, t invited you to a Bible study and they 
they went through a series of studies and you uh, thought that they were real nice people there and everything and you thought it made sense at the moment and and um, you know just the the leader the facilitator of the group decided that they were uh, he was going to give an invitation uh, to accept Jesus as your personal savior and you did what do they call that they call that brainwashing. And J. John, who was a, an evangelist, he said, he, he jokes, jokingly says, when his mother says, told him that he was brainwashed, he said, Mom, you should have seen my brain before it was washed. Thank God that Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit, washes us clean, including our minds. But he doesn't erase the slate. We still live with those things in life that we have to wrestle with. Those things that will plague us where we have the Romans 7.24 to Romans 8.1 moments. So why do you believe what you believe? That sounds like a heart-to-heart come-to-Jesus moment. I'm going to be changing some things up and having more of these, these types of podcasts where thinking about this because I want to interact with you. If you do have any questions about what you do here, you can email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. But let me give you basically four reasons, four good reasons why we need to defend the faith. And I can guarantee you that anybody outside of the Christian faith cannot come up with these reasons. I'll I'll guarantee you, I'll I'll guarantee you a Starbucks coffee if you can find me a skeptic that can come up with these reasons. Okay? So, you know, somebody once also said that, you know, truth is like a lion. If you turn it loose, you know, it'll, it'll take care of itself. Well, I'll tell you, I want to let you know, I don't believe that in total. I don't believe that totally. I believe it was Donald Gray Barnhouse that said it. But, you know, when you and I take a look at our culture today, um, we are becoming more and more like a skeptical Europe. We are becoming more and more skeptical in a postmodern culture. But, you know, American culture today, um, we are finding that there are people who have no intention on believing what you and I believe. And, and the reason being, it, they maybe have been hurt by the church. They may have uh, slipped into uh, a habit and, the, and somebody found out about it, whether it was smoking or drinking or whatever, depending on where you are. And all of a sudden they said, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Now, I'm not advocating any. All I'm saying is that there are a lot of people today who have been abandoned by the church, people who are are abandoning church because they've been hurt by the church. Are they still believers? Lord, I hope so. But at the same time, what do we have to say to those folks? That's why I say, you know, behind every person, there's a question. Kind of like what Ravi G taught us over the years. But 
like those, you know, when we think about this, Peter wrote to believers in his first letter that were dispersed because of Roman persecution. And because of the Roman persecution, because of things that were coming against those believers, Peter gives an admonishment where he says, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. As I mentioned to you, there are four reasons that I believe we need to be about defending our faith. And let me take time to to share those with you. I'm going to share probably one of them looking at the time we've been into this. And then we'll go to a break and I'll come back with the rest of it or we'll do two. We'll just see how it how it works out. But before I do that, you know, some people might argue that there will be no results as a result of debating or arguing with somebody. Well, you know what? Well, apologetics is not about debating or arguing. That's, that's a misnomer. Apologetics is about the, with a goal toward evangelism. Apologetics is about discipleship. And there are results as a result of giving a good reason for the hope that you have. So let's get started. First, I want to let you know that apologetics is actually commanded by God. Yeah, did you know that? That God actually um, tells us to be able to use our minds and to be able to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. You know, I, I, I alluded to 1 Peter 3.15. Let me tell you, the, give you the whole um, verse on, based on what is the, the Amplified. It says, but sanctified or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, an apologia. In other words, give a response back to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence or fear. Now, this passage tells us several things. First off, it tells us that one, we should be ready And if you're doing the first part for setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart, living out the Christian life on a daily basis, I want to let you know that people are going to see you as the fifth gospel. You know, if people see you and they look at you and they say, you know, hey, you know, um, I always thought that you were a Christian, but you tell me that you had an interesting past. I always thought you were a believer. You know, that's evidence of a transformed life. What I also want you to know that when people read you as the fifth gospel, you know, they may never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but they are reading you. And as a Christian, they will see if you're living out your Christian faith. And as it says, we always need to be ready to give a reason for what we uh, for when we are asked. You know, people are eventually going to ask you, what is different about you? As I just mentioned, being ready in your life will also encourage you to be ready in your preparation as a, as a case maker, as an apologist, as an evangelist who, who takes apologetics and apologetics undergirding their evangelism. You know, there are some great resources out there that you can pick up and study from. 
But it's not just having information. It's also uh, another thing about this passage. It's just about our attitude. Our attitude has a lot to do with it because there is a lot of attitude issues in the apologetics community. And they seem to be a sense of overconfidence and cockiness. And our attitude here at the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry is seeking ways toward identifying with people and asking questions to people who are asking questions where they are and possibly what they are going through, what it is it that keeps them from coming to faith in Christ. And we seek to do this with gentleness and respect in a manner that the person knows that we are separating the question from the questioner. Having an attitude of readiness with this in mind will create a low level of eagerness and confidence. Figures this way. If you and I have the truth, people are seeking truth. Respect the questioner, dismantle the question, and get the person to see what is in their heart. There's another thing I'd like to share with you about this is the fact that when we give a reason to those who ask questions, like it says in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, you know, that we should not expect that every conversation is going to lead or turn into an opportunity for evangelism. A lot of times this is what we call pre-evangelism. So we need to keep in the back of our mind that that the one challenging what you and I believe or asking questions about what you and I believe, they need those questions answered. But we must first be willing to be able to give that answer and then leave the results to the Lord. I want you to know that you and I do not lead a person to Christ. We're only used by Christ to go and you'd be used by the Holy Spirit to put a stone in their shoe, to give them something to think about, ask them questions that will open up a preconceived idea that they might have, and with that, they will be able to be able to think about it. And sometimes what you need to do is you need to pray and just ask the Lord to speak to them and in, as they sleep and as they, before they close their eyes that night. There's a, there's a third thing about this I want to uh, share with you as well is the fact that, you know, when we're doing pre-evangelism, making Christ uh, uh, Lord in our hearts and our minds uh, are unified. We're, we're, those things are unified together. If Jesus is really Lord in your life, then you and I should be obedient to the word when it says that we are destroying speculations at every lofty thing that comes up against the knowledge of Christ. In other words, we should be confronting issues in our own minds and in the expressed thoughts of others that are preventing them from knowing who God is and who Jesus is. That is what the defense of the faith is all about. Over in Philippians 1 verse 7, the Apostle Paul speaks of his mission as one defending and confirming the gospel. He adds in verse what we know as verse 16, and it's, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So if you're going to tell us that apologetics is not necessary today, tell that to the Apostle Paul when you meet him in heaven. Jude 3 also declares, Beloved, while I was making every known every effort to write to you about our common salvation, notice that he was making an effort to write to 
his readers about the commonness of their salvation. He says, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You see, the people that Jude was writing to had been assaulted by false teachers, which we've got plenty of them today in the church. And he needed needed to encourage them to protect, literally agonize for the faith as it had been revealed through Jesus Christ. Not through Benny Hinn, not through Kenneth Copeland, not through Beth Moore, not through Joyce Meyer, but through Jesus Christ, through the scriptures, the historical Christian faith. Jude makes a significant statement about our attitude as well when he says in verse 22, have mercy on some who are doubting. We need to be merciful. We need to look at people who are created in the image as those who are created in the image and likeness of God. Look at them with the love of Jesus Christ as you're conversing with them. Apologetics, then, has plenty of warrant for expressing compassion. It is not having a passion to defend the faith. It is a passion to reach people that you are dialoguing with with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to go to a break, and the other other three uh, will move a lot quicker. But stand by, and we'll be back in just a moment. Maybe we are all God. Maybe we are collectively God. God is experiencing himself or herself or itself through us. Nothing is absolute. I guess that's an absolute statement in itself, but... There are so many religions out there, so many people that have claimed to be the son of God before Christianity. It's a historical accident. Buddha taught the same sort of thing. So did Confucius, so did Mohammed. They all teach pretty much the same stuff. Can we really say what's right and what's wrong? There are a lot of different religions, a lot of different pathways that people this take to God. This of Jesus died for your sins. Well, I don't believe that. Maybe we are all attuned to a frequency that vibrates through the universe that is what we've determined to be God. It's just... Many of the voices that you hear in our culture range from truth being relative to all religions say the same thing or maybe that God doesn't exist. At the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, we help churches, college groups, student groups, and young people answer those challenges. If you'd like more information about the Real Issue Apologetics Ministry, contact us by calling 540-419-2162 or email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. That's 540-419-2162 or email at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. We interview the world's leading apologists to provide credible answers to curious questions. Can science disprove God? To say that a scientist can disprove God, Bobby, would be like saying a mechanic can disprove the existence of Henry Ford. A mechanic can study cause and effect 
inside the engine and how the engine operates, but that will never disprove the existence of a creator of that engine. And so this is why I don't understand why atheists would say that science can never disprove God. Secondly, scientists are saying that, or atheists are saying that, Science is all about cause and effect inside the universe. Well, if that's the case, how could science say anything about cause and effect that comes from outside the universe? It can't. If it's dealing with the natural, it can say nothing about the supernatural. So no, science can't disprove God. In fact, science actually can only be done if God exists. Why? Because we have to have an orderly world out there, which seems to reflect the mind of God, these orderly natural laws and natural forces. Secondly, we have to be able to assess and evaluate the natural world. That requires us to have a mind, not just a brain, which is something that atheists deny. They say we're just molecules in motion. We're just moist robots. So in order for us to do science, atheism can't be true. In fact, theism makes science possible. Atheism, materialistic atheism, makes science impossible. So ironically, if we can do science, atheism's false. Hi, this is Rob Lundberg from the Real Issue Podcast. I'd like to let you know that if you have, over the last couple years, been subscribing to us on iTunes, we have now moved from iTunes to Apple Podcasts. So if you are still listening to us on iTunes, we'd like to invite you to go over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Real Issue Podcast. That way, you won't miss a show, and you'll be able to share the Real Issue Podcast with others. So jump on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. You'll be glad that you did. about why defend what you believe what you believe you're listening to the real issue podcast thank you for tuning in and thank you for staying with us over through those commercials you know as i mentioned earlier that you know it's very important that the understanding of why you believe and again i don't i'm not just addressing christians in this statement i'm addressing skeptics in that statement this statement as well and, and that is, you know, why are you a skeptic? Why are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Why do we believe what we believe? You know, the unexamined life, Socrates said, is not life not worth living. And I'm saying that the unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing. And if you're an atheist and you say you don't have no faith, I'm sorry, I didn't know you believed that. Now, we're talking to believers as to why we believe what we believe and why we should defend our faith. The first, uh, was, first point that I just mentioned before the break was that it was commanded by God in Scripture. You know, talking about, you know, the fact of sanctifying Christ as Lord in your heart and be ready always, and the fact that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. And we have an example in the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 when, where he was defending the gospel and presenting the gospel to the Areopagus, and then also to uh, in, in Philippi where he says, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Nothing has changed. So apologetics is 
commanded by God. Secondly, reason demands it. Reason demands that you and I defend our faith. Again, the unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing in. You know, God created us with minds to operate in the realm of human reason. The intellect and the, the capacity to reason things out is part of God's image in us. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where, 26 and 27, really, where we're creating the image and likeness of God. And the fact that when we engage somebody who is against Christianity, somebody who is, has no intention of believing and putting their faith and trust in Christ, we are to treat people as though they are creating the image and likeness of God because, you know, they are. And I, I have not got uh, together a response to some of the things that have happened over the week. But, you know, it, I think with the problem that we're seeing today is that because truth has, ab has been abandoned in many of the demonstration and riots that we see going on, now they're taking the initiative and going beyond that and thinking that they're their own truth. There's like an individualism that is there, and you know nowhere is that correct. Nowhere is that found in Scripture. God created us in His image and His likeness. He created us as individuals. He gave us a mind. He gave us a mind to do and and to and to be who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's why I believe reason demands it. God created us with minds to operate in the realm of human reason. And, you know, when you take uh, the intellect, you take the fact that that is a reflection of God's image in us. You know, it is by this that we are distinguished from brute beasts. As it says in Jude 10, God calls upon us to use our reason in Isaiah 1 verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 18, to discern truth from error in 1 John 4, 6 and right from wrong in Hebrews 4, 15, uh, 4, 14. And there's a fundamental principle of reason, is, and, and that is that we should have sufficient grounds for what we believe in. Again, uh, the un un unexamined faith is a faith not worth believing. It's only reasonable to think that. And because God and reason demand that we engage in apologetics, you and I should see that we cannot keep the Christian faith or our humble confidence in the truthfulness of the faith that was the once for all delivered to the saints. We, folks, we can't keep that to ourselves. We can't keep that to ourselves. Let me get to the third element here. And that is that the world needs us to engage in apologetic tax. Many people refuse to believe without some evidence as indeed they should. You know, just because I say something doesn't mean that you should believe it. You should check it out. But because we should not be forcing someone to believe at the same time, they, you know, they, number one, they're not going to be willing to, if we're trying to force somebody to believe something. But they should be willing to investigate it. And we, our attitude and how we do it and our encouragement to them should be such to invite them to investigate it. The, still, the decision is up to them to investigate what we're saying to them is true. But see, just because you or I say something is true doesn't mean that what we are sharing is really true as well. And it's the same thing from the skeptical side. Just because they tell us something that they believe to be true 
doesn't make it true. And they might believe it with all their heart. I wish Christians would have some of that conviction. But, you know, we just go happily along and I'm not going to chase that rabbit, but. You know, we tell atheists that the brute fact argue, that brute fact argumentation is not going to deconvert a Christian with a response. Then why should we try to do the same thing using brute fact tactics? I call that I call that spiritual mugging uh, in evangelism. Why should we go and tell somebody using brute fact argumentation that what we believe to be true? You know, God has created us as rational beings. No problem whatsoever with and he does expect us, he does not expect us to live irrationally. He wants us to look before we leap. This does not mean that there's no room for faith. Christianity is not a blind leap in the dark, but a step into the light, into the light of evidence. And he does not want us to leap in the dark, but he wants us to, wants us to run in his light. No person is going to get into an elevator unless he has some reason to believe it's going to take him to where he needs to go, either up or down a level or two or all the way to the top of the building. Likewise, no reasonable person gets on an airplane that has a broken wing and smoke coming out of the tail. Belief that is prior, belief that something is true is prior to believing in that thing to be true. And our faith is only as good as the one in whom it is placed. Thankfully, there is evidence to dovetail with Christian faith. Therefore, evidence and reason are important to establish the belief that. But once that is established, one can place his trust in it. And see, that's what that is all about. And let me move to the fourth thing here. I might get this manuscript in my hot little hands here. The number four. You know, we said God demands it. Reason demands it. The world is crying out for it. But fourthly, people will say that there's no results. Really? I know a 16-year-old kid who became a skeptic because he got, kept being kept told by people in church, just believe, just have faith, don't doubt. And that sunk into his little mind. And he went to church until he became 18 years old. And in that two-year window, he, his skepticism grew more and more and more into an apathetic skeptic. Many people are like that today. They're being told, just believe, just have faith, and it'll be okay. But their faith is blind. And when something happens, the roots, like the parable and the sower, uproot, and they're being blown around by every wind of doctrine. Folks, apologetics has results. I can't say that simply enough. The fact that there are results that are produced while engaging in the apologetic task is a common misnomer among many Christians. 
it is often said that apologetics never helps anybody bring anybody to Christ. That's not true. This is a serious misrepresentation of the facts. You know, you can go to Greg Kokel's books, Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, where he discusses the fallacy of thinking that one cannot argue a person into the kingdom. This whole discussion is depending on, upon the soteriology of where one is as far as how one comes to faith. I get that. But there is some truth to that in the fact that evidence can convince somebody to go and say, I'm willing to listen to some good news. It happened to that 16 to 18-year-old skeptic over 40, almost 40 years ago. Folks, you know, if you don't investigate something, why do you believe it? When you came to faith in Christ, did you just go and have that inner witness of the Holy Spirit and left it there? Well, if you did, praise the Lord, but when something happens, how deep are your roots? You know, I'm all for the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, no doubt. But folks, discipleship doesn't stop there. Discipleship goes and causes us to want to know and grow more into understanding why Christianity is true. And that's what it's all about. When you take a look at Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, I'm not talking about a hippopotamus. Augustine is one example there were several significant turning points in his life before he came to Christ. First was reasoning out the problem with, a, with some type of bad teaching of Manichaean dualism at the time. And one significant turn was where he was the success of a young Christian debater of Manichaeans called Halpidius. We can read about that, and you can read about that in his Confessions. Secondly, Augustine reasoned his way out of total skepticism by seeing the self-defeating nature of it. He writes about this and against the academics. So we see that there are some good reasons for why you and I should defend our faith. God commands it. Reason demands it. The world is crying out for it because they have difficult answers regarding meaning and purpose, especially during this COVID period of time. And lastly, God is the one who gets the glory for the results. And folks, there are results. I'm, I'm a testimony of that result. I have somebody that I'm speaking with where I have gone and given this person some things to consider. I've got another person where I'm asking them to take into consideration some things, and, and that person claims to be an animist. They're listening to the evidences, and we're praying that the Holy Spirit will convict, open their eyes, draw them to faith in Christ. Folks, you know, sometimes you have to give evidences for why you believe what you believe, why Christianity is true. And, and, you know, if you just go and say the Bible says so, 
You know, I believe the Bible. Believe me, I believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It's totally sufficient. It's per, the perspicuity of the Christian uh, uh, scriptures, meaning that God, the Holy Spirit, has protected it. I have no problem with that. But when you're talking to hearts and minds, it's a totally different context. You don't use the Bible as a rabbit's foot, and you don't use the passage in Isaiah that God's word will not return void, taking that passage out of context. Folks, we need to get down to brass tacks, and we really need to understand why you and I need to defend our faith. And if you're a skeptic, again, thank you for listening to the Real Issue podcast. I hope this helps you understand where I am coming from with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I also want to challenge you as to why do you believe your skepticism is true? And I would like you to email me, and I'd love to dialogue with you as to why you believe. And if you want to try and deconvert me, you can do a pretty, you can do as, as hard of a job as you can, but um, that's not going to work. I want it to be productive. I want it to be fruitful. Uh, if it, um, it is uh, antagonistic, I won't engage in, with you. But I, I want you to tell me why you believe your skepticism is true if you're a skeptic. You can send your reason to realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. And we would love to just engage your questions. If you have a question and you're a Christian as to maybe something that's bugging you, we'd love to interact with you as well as to why or what the question, actually as to what the question is and what it was that got you thinking to where you are in your, in your, in your seeking. But we'd l- thank you for listening to the show today. And uh, this is the last day of May. We are looking to do some things differently as we, as we move forward. Um, looking to hopefully, maybe, maybe, let me say that again, maybe, do video podcast as well. Uh, it all depends. That will be a different day of the week. But it will be like a short uh, YouTube video. Uh, vlogcast, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we've got some crazy ideas. We'll see how those all, all those ideas suffice. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but uh, you never know. So thank you for listening to our show today. We'll be back with you next week. And as you go out in our pandemically charged culture with people going sidewards and you have a chance to engage somebody, don't be afraid to ask them questions. Ask them why they're doing what they're doing. Ask them how life is treating them. Ask them how it's really treating them. And then possibly you're going to probably get some answers where you're going to be able to probe deeper. But as you do this, don't be cocky. Don't be, pardon the expression, don't be a jerk. But be an ambassador and a diplomat for Jesus. And as you do it, Make sure you give them heaven. And we'll be back with you next week, Lord willing. 